Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be back with you after being gone uh, last week. Uh, my wife and I uh, and our young son went to Lake Tahoe for a week, uh, which was good and refreshing, but we also realized that vacation with a one-year-old uh, is very different uh, than va- vacation uh, on your own. So, uh, But it was uh, so, so much needed uh, rest and rejuvenation, and uh, I, I return to you uh, today uh, and I would ask you with me to, to open up to, to Acts chapter 14. Today is going to be a little bit of a, uh, unique, uh, message, uh, as we, we come together and gather together. If you look with me at the, the end of Acts chapter 14, uh, verses 24 to 28, this is the end of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey together. It says, then they passed through uh, Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. So Paul and and Barnabas were commissioned by uh, the church at Antioch. Uh, They were sent on a missionary journey to the island of Cyprus, uh, and then through Asia Minor, and then they returned uh, to the church that had commissioned them, uh, the church that had sent them. And what did they do? They gave a a report. Uh, They understood that they were accountable to those who had, had sent them, and they came to to speak of all that the Lord had done during their journey. And uh, so I wanted in the, the first portion of our time together this morning is kind of, uh, I guess, to give you a little bit of a report on how the Lord has been working here at Ambassador and how uh, what our plans are for the future, of how we, we anticipate the Lord to continue to work uh, here at uh, Ambassador. Uh, it's uh, It's been close to a year since we launched uh, uh, September 17th, 2017, uh, and it's been nearly two years uh, that uh, my family and I have been here uh, in the, the Treasure Valley, and it's been uh, amazing to see the faithfulness of God during that time, uh, from uh, starting uh, to meet at a little Bible study in January of 2017 with about 15 people uh, in our living room, and now to see uh, all that the Lord has done and how he has uh, continued to, to grow uh, ambassador. Uh, and we had uh, 12 people attend our baptism class uh, a couple weeks back, um, and uh, I'm excited to to see those people begin to, to move towards uh, those first steps of faith uh, in the future and to, to be baptized in the future. And for those of you that were at that class, uh, I just wanted to remind you of the, the next step will be to send your testimony to uh, Pastor Bruce uh, or myself so we can begin uh, to get you moving forward. And uh, there's a, a kind of a built-in incentive as the season w- progresses that the water around here will get colder and colder. Uh, so it's like kind of a built-in, hey, you got to act fast if you don't want to be uh, in icy, icy water for that baptism. So... Uh, what's, what's also encouraging, not only those the people who are, uh, interested in pursuing baptism is also, uh, we had 25 people, uh, attend our membership class. Uh, that was the third round of our membership classes. And, uh, we, we currently have 27 members at Ambassador and others who are kind of in the process. Uh, but those are, those are encouraging, uh, numbers just as the Lord continues to, to add, uh, and grow, uh, our church. And then, 
if you guys haven't noticed, the, the month of August uh, was kind of a, a busy month for us. We averaged 135 people uh, in attendance in the month of August, and uh, many are gone today because of Labor Day. But that uh, has presented uh, some unique uh you know, challenges, good problems, uh, as we uh, had to to move uh, the children's ministry uh, to another building over here in the basement, which many of you with children already know. Uh, and that is also kind of uh, beginning or having to, to put some thoughts into our mind of what are the, the next step, also just worship uh, center-wise. As this uh, area begins to, to fill up on a regular basis, we always have to kind of be forward-thinking because if we're reactive rather than proactive, we'll be, uh, some of us will be standing in the back. Uh, and uh, so we're, we're beginning to, to be in conversations with Coal Valley about uh, options here. Uh, and then uh, we might begin to, to look elsewhere. But we'll have uh, more more details uh, for you regarding that uh, in the coming weeks as we uh, begin to, to research and pursue options. And uh, Bruce and I, as the elders, will also pursue the, the wisdom and insight uh, of the deacon board uh, just on some of those decisions. And then we'll present that uh, to our, our members uh, to be voted upon and decided uh, before we just suddenly, hey, this week we're meeting in a different location. There'll, there'll, be, there'll be much discussion uh, coming up uh, on that. But those are, those are good problems to have. Uh, and we are excited just for all that the Lord is doing and uh, to see that. And uh, next Sunday, uh, September 9th, we have uh, a guest speaker, uh, the pastor of our sending church, Pastor Paul Brown. He's going to come up uh, and, and preach uh, to us and just a celebration of all that the Lord has done here uh, in our, our first year of ministry. Uh, and we are we are excited about that. It's something to celebrate, uh, and we look forward to that. And also, uh, next week, starting on Monday, September 10th, and, and that week, uh, will be our growth groups uh, launching back up. Uh, we've taken a break from those uh, small group uh, times uh, during the summer in, in favor of some, some relaxed barbecues and uh, some hot nights uh, in the park uh, together. But uh, our growth groups will resume uh, the week of September 10th, so we a week from uh, tomorrow, we are excited that uh, there's going to be a, a new group launching uh, on Wednesday nights, uh, led by uh, Ron and Christy Hayes and Lance and Lynn uh, Nielsen. Uh, and I believe it, it's a meeting at your your home, at the Hayes home, uh, kind of in, uh, it's technically in Nampa, but it's kind of in that no man's land of in between Meridian uh, and Nampa. So uh, we're excited to for that uh, new group to be launching. Uh, and we're also, uh, you can see the full list of uh, the groups there in your uh, bulletin. And I wanted just to pause a little bit of, and talk about why why are those groups so important? Now, why do we do small groups? Because uh, if you if you have your Bibles again, turn with me uh, just to the to the right in your Bible to the, the short little letter to Titus. So if you reach uh, Hebrews, you, you've gone too far, uh, but but Titus. It's a very important book uh, in talking about the life of the church. Uh, and, and what we see here is that there is, there is a whole lot more to the church than what takes place on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is a time when we gather together uh, to worship the Lord, to sing to the Lord, uh, to praise Him and pray to Him. Uh, but then we, we should also be scattering. Uh, to our homes, to our neighborhoods, uh, to proclaim the gospel to our friends, neighbors, co-workers, family members. Uh, and then we should be gathering together also throughout the week uh, to be able to encourage one another, uh, to pray with and for one another. And if you, if you begin reading w- with me in, in Titus chapter 2, 
Paul's just concluded uh, the qualifications of, of an elder and then uh, confronting some things in the, uh, uh, the church on the island of Crete where Titus is. And then chapter 2, verse 1, he says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Uh, and usually when we think of sound doctrine, we think, okay, we have the, the Trinity, we have uh, salvation is uh, not earned by works, but it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. You think about these, these core doctrines of the Christian faith, uh, and you think that's exactly what, what Paul would write following this, of, hey, teach sound doctrine, and here's what I want you to teach. But notice what he does. He, he transitions from, hey, teach sound doctrine, and then he, he begins to, to say, this is how the church is to conduct itself. He says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So the, the older men in the church are to be examples to the flock. But how do you know that? See, you can't really identify any of those qualifications or any of those characteristics when everybody is sitting silently uh, in the worship service. Where do you begin to assess and identify those characteristics? when you are interacting with uh, that person outside of the church context, when you're, when you're living life on life, when you're getting together to, to worship, to pray, to, to talk through, hey, what's going on in life? That happens outside of the, the general worship service context. And as we continue reading verse 3, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And again, that doesn't take place in this Sunday morning church service. That takes place outside of this service uh, as we just uh, live life together. And then uh, after older men, uh, older women, younger women, I love what he says to uh, to the young men. Uh, and I'm one of those. Verses 6 through 8. It says, Likewise, urge the young men to be self-controlled. Or literally, be sensible. Uh, that, that's what us young men need. Just just those words. I always, uh, in my sanctified imagination, I hear foghorn, leghorn. Uh, ain't got no sense. Uh, th- that's what young men need, first and foremost. We, we need to be sensible. And he says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Now that's a high standard for young men. Hey, conduct yourself so that any any enemy of the Christian faith would have nothing evil to say of Christ his church because of you. That's a lofty standard and again that's not just something that is observed or achievable in a Sunday morning service, but that's outside of the church in the way that we conduct ourselves and the way that we interact with one another and come together to look at his word. He continues in verses 9 and 10, speaking to bond servants. He says, Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, not show, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What he's saying is that the way that we conduct ourselves, that word for adorn is where we get uh, our our word for cosmetics. And what do cosmetics do? They they beautify. Right? They they they, they cover uh blemishes, they, they make something beautiful and make it attractive to others. 
And what is it that we are called to do? Is that we are called to adorn the doctrine of God. We are called to make uh, God attractive in our conduct and in our behavior. Now, the gospel message that all men are, are, are sinful, that all men have rebelled against God and are separated from him, that's, that's a, a stumbling block. The Bible says that, hey, that, that's a message that will, will create a, a dividing line in the sand, and it will either push people away or attract people uh, to it. So the gospel is a foolish message, but we can make it attractive in the way that we live, the way that we conduct ourselves. And that is what we are called to here. So Paul gives this instruction, and then he gives the motivation for it in verses 11 to 15. He says, why we should do all of that? He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So the grace of God has saved us, and it's brought salvation not to every single person, but to uh, everybody in general, all types of all types of people. There's nobody who is excluded from the offer of the gospel. Christ has saved us, but then you notice He doesn't just save us and then leave us right where we are. But what is His goal? What is His intention for us? It is to train us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's what we are to say no to. And here's what we're to say yes to, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. See, see, what is God's desire for us? Not just to, to save us and then let us sit and do our own thing, but to, to sanctify us, to make us more and more like Jesus. And, and how does that take place? How does that happen? How does God transform us and make us more and more like Jesus? Well, he does that through his word, through his spirit, and then through his people. Uh, as we come together, as we encourage one another, pray for one another, uh, as we are able to to speak into one another's lives, we are blind to our blind spots. You know that? Uh, and we need the input of other people to be able to see, hey, where we might be going astray or to see things in our own life clearly. Uh, and that's what we what we see here. Those These commands that we see in Titus 2, they aren't achievable by ourselves. They aren't achievable just by coming to, to the main worship service, sitting. You, now, I don't want to in any way uh, depreciate the value of this worship service. No, the proclamation of God's word, worshiping with God's people is of the utmost importance. But so is gathering together during the week uh, to encourage one another, to study God's word and to grow in Christ-likeness. And I would encourage uh, all of you uh, to to look at and pursue being involved in one of the small groups that you see listed there uh, in your bulletin. Uh, I, know, I know there's many good things that you can do with your time, but this is the best. Uh, and sometimes we have to prioritize good, better, and best, and I would, I would ask you to prioritize these small groups in your life because this is, uh, the church is God's plan A for your spiritual growth. Uh, and and there is no plan B. <laughs> That's what uh, one other pastor has said. Of uh, the, the church is how God will will shape us and mold us and to make us more like Christ. We need to be together and encouraging one another. So even though there's many other good things you can do with your time, this is the best. And we would challenge you to prioritize being in one of those small groups that you see listed there in your bulletin. So uh, then the following Sunday. September 16th, uh, we are going to to begin our study of the Gospel of John, and we are doing something called Bring Your One. 
Uh, and, and what I mean by that is we are, we're challenging everybody to, to begin to pray and begin to invite somebody who might want to know about who Jesus is. See, in our, in our world, uh, around us, uh, there's many views of who Jesus is. Many people will agree that Jesus is a good moral teacher. They'll say, hey, he's a, he's a good guy. I should, I should listen to some of the things that he says. He's got some good insight. Right? Even unbelievers may agree with that. But where they would fall short is agreeing that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, and, and in the Gospel of John, more so than any of the other Gospels, we see what Jesus himself says about himself. And isn't that important? Who does Jesus claim to be? Not just who do we think Jesus is, but who does he say that he is? Uh, and within that, now, beginning to to think and pray and invite of, hey, who might want to know about Jesus? Who can I begin to reach out to uh, as we begin to study John's gospel starting uh, on September 16th? Uh, and uh, who can you begin to to pray for and invite uh, and uh, begin to, to walk through the gospel of John together starting uh, in a couple of weeks there? Uh, and then uh, some other some other big changes coming up. Uh, so what we are doing the, the following Sunday, it's a busy month in September. Uh, starting September 23rd, uh, we are going to start uh, what we will call our equipping hour classes. And they are, in essence, just a, a Sunday uh, school class that will meet from 9 uh, to 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Uh, and what we uh, will begin to do in those classes is going to be kind of quarterly classes or almost quarterly classes that we will begin to do a topical study uh, on something in the Christian life. And we're going to begin with, hey, Bible study 101. Uh, and how, if you want to know how to, to get more from your own personal Bible reading, if you want to know how to study the Bible for yourself, which we want every single person in this room to be able to do, you all need to be able to feed yourself uh, from God's word. That's why we're starting with Bible study. Uh, that class will begin to meet from uh, September 23rd, and it'll end December 16th, and that'll be from 9 to 10 a.m. Uh, each morning. And, and even if you've gone through a class that's similar to that, I would encourage you to come, uh, because that, that's a, a skill of our, our Bible study and Bible reading. That's a skill that we can always hone and sharpen. Uh, we, we can never be sharp enough in terms of that skill and that ability. And uh, as we try and figure out child care, uh, for that time. If families with young children who would need childcare, if you're interested in attending, please email me uh, as soon as possible so we can begin to uh, to figure out uh, the, the child care situation during that uh, time. And again, that begins September 23rd. Uh, and if, if we're beginning to meet uh, before uh, the service on Sunday mornings, that also means that our leadership meetings need to change and those will be uh, on the uh, the third Sunday of the month usually, but this month it'll also be on September 23rd, and that'll be after church uh, from 1 to 3 p.m. So uh, other other updates uh, would just be, hey, f- financially, uh, we are so thankful for your support and for your uh, giving. We're so thankful to have uh, Pastor Bruce back full-time. Uh, he began back uh, in July, and that's because of your uh, faithful giving. We're doing uh, much better uh, financially. We have about thirty thousand uh, in reserve uh, right now in our accounts, and we want to. We're going to figure out ways to be able to give you regular reports on how uh, we're doing financially. Uh, and we're thankful again, just just for your support. Uh, and just a reminder that we've switched our 
our online giving platform when we began to oversee our finances. Right now, our uh, finances are overseen by uh, our treasurer, uh, Don Hansen. Uh, and then we have an outside accountant who's uh, overseeing the finances and accountable to us on that. And uh, a, a note on kind of how we we've done the the giving. You can kind of you can give electronically online, or you can give in the offering box in the back. And I wanted to to appeal to you for, to those who have been giving online, uh, if you would consider using the ACH transfer method because that only costs us uh, a quarter a transaction but if you use a credit card they take like two and a half percent plus 30 cents so it ends up being a, a, a portion of what you're giving goes in fees to the to the company but that ACH transfer is a quarter which is a lot more uh, reasonable so if you would consider that in terms of your giving and again we're so thankful for your support uh, and as we're doing much better uh, financially uh, at this time so uh, as as we continue uh, to grow, uh, we also have some additional volunteer needs uh, that I wanted to uh, just br- bring to your uh, attention, uh, especially in children's ministry. And children's ministry is one of those uh, that we always have uh, needs uh, in. And uh, Christy Hayes, uh, who's uh, sitting there in the back, has done a wonderful job of overseeing uh, our children's ministry. All of that doesn't happen by accident. I just wanted to pause and, and thank her. If you guys uh, could just give her a round of applause. We are so uh, so thankful for all that she does uh, to to disciple and, and train uh, the children at our church and to oversee uh, the volunteers. But uh, Christy's come to a, just a, a season where she needs to, to step back and is no longer able, going to be overseeing uh, children's ministry, which means that, hey, we need some, some additional help, uh, some additional people who might be interested in, in helping uh, oversee some of those uh, aspects of children's ministry. And we have nursery, we have preschool, and we really need to start uh, in an elementary school classroom. And we've had... Over the summer, we got uh, 10, uh, I guess, families that add up to 10 new kids uh, in our uh, children's ministry. So it's growing rapidly. Again, praise the Lord. Good problem uh, to have. But again, with that comes uh, some volunteer needs. So if you're interested in, in helping out uh, in children's ministry, you can speak uh, with Christy or with my myself. Uh, and then we're also just in need of some volunteers for uh, just set up and tear down. Uh, and you can speak with uh, Ron Hayes, who's also in the back, or Lance Nielsen. Uh, and in your bulletin, you can also see all of the other areas that you might uh, be able to serve and, and contribute uh, to uh, just the Sunday morning service and then during the week um, ministries. So uh, then another thing that's in your bulletin that I, that we are very excited about. Now, one of our, our goals as we moved to this area was uh, to start a biblical counseling training center. Now, we wanted to train other biblical counselors uh, here uh, in the area. Uh, and we are getting closer and closer to doing that. In uh, the spring of next year, April 6th, we are going to, to partner with Meridian First Baptist to host a, uh, a one-time conference. It's called Why Biblical Counseling, and it's going to be, the speaker is going to be Dr. Ernie Baker, uh, who was a professor at the Master's University in the Biblical Counseling uh, Department, and then he's now uh, a pastor of Biblical Counseling at a church in Jacksonville. He'll be coming to speak uh, April 6th and kind of explaining, hey, why is biblical counseling so important, so foundational? Uh, and then in the fall of 2019, 
uh, what we are going to do is we're going to begin to host a training time for uh, biblical counseling, partnering with the ministry in the, the Portland area. They're going to come and, and facilitate the training for the first few years, and gradually we're going to take more and more on. Uh, and uh, those will be the, the first weekends uh, in September, October, and November of 2019. So if you guys want to put that on your calendar, if you're interested in and being trained uh, as a biblical counselor uh, and possibly certified in the future. I uh, just wanted to, to inform you of that. So those are uh, th- those are the kind of the, the updates that we wanted to, to bring forward uh, to you. And it's been a, a long time and much has been going on uh, in the last uh, year. Uh, as uh, before we launched uh, a year ago this time, it was about uh, 45 to 50 of us meeting here, trying to figure out how to how to make everything run smoothly. And now uh, we're about 150 people uh, and uh, praise the Lord for all that he is doing and has done. And uh, also one other thing that we are updating is uh, we've been doing uh, communion at the Lord's table. Uh, on the second Sunday of the month, uh, typically. And what we're going to do is begin to celebrate on the first Sunday of the month, and that uh, that falls on uh, today. Uh, and what I wanted to do is kind of uh, spend some time uh, preparing for uh, to partake of communion, but also looking at uh, the covenant faithfulness of God. Uh, the, the celebration of communion together is is a celebration of what what is it? We are in a covenant relationship with God, and I wanted to look at that. Uh, and so if you think with me about a rope, have any of you ever seen how rope is made? Uh, it's, it's amazing of, to, to go and uh, see how rope is made. They take uh, the, these individual uh, fabrics or material uh, and they braid or weave them together, right? And uh, sometimes, have you ever had those yellow ropes that are just really, really rough on your hands and really fibrous. Sometimes each of those strands that is braided together is made up of hundreds of little tiny fibers. Uh, and what's amazing is that when you take these the, these fibers, the, these strands, and you braid them together, what happens to them? Yeah, they become stronger. So suddenly you have this you have this rope that is able to to hold on or support uh, something of exponentially greater weight. Uh, and what was amazing, I watched this YouTube video because that's where you go to look up stuff now. Uh, watching this YouTube video on how rope is made, uh, and this little rope made of, you know, s- strands and woven together can support a thousand pounds. Uh, that it can secure and hold that much weight simply because it is tied together. Uh, but what you have to do to see the strength of that rope is you have to see the individual strands and then weave them together. And what I wanted to do this morning is take a look a little bit at the faithfulness of God to his covenants in the Old Testament. Uh, it'll, it'll be brief, and we'll, we'll kind of do a little bit of an Old Testament survey here, but looking at the individual strands of God's covenant faithfulness and then being able to see how do they weave together into an unbreakable covenant with us in the New Testament. Uh, and as we see how strong this rope is of God's covenant faithfulness, that we would begin to to gain hope and encouragement. Because sometimes in life it feels like uh, we are rock climbers and we've lost our handholds and our footholds. And what happens to a rock climber if he loses his handholds and footholds? You're dangling. You're hanging there. What's the only thing supporting you? Is that rope. 
And so now all of your trust, all of your hope is in that rope. And then what would you immediately be thinking if you're dangling on the side of a cliff and only a rope is holding you? How strong is this rope? How secure am I? Right? And you're going to be thinking, is it frayed anywhere? How, how securely did I fasten it at the top? Your, your mind is going to be going through all of those things. And that's why this morning I wanted to look at the covenant faithfulness of God so we can see the strands that comprise the rope that holds us safely and securely as we go through life. If you, if you have your Bibles, look, look with me at the beginning in Genesis. Beginning in Genesis chapter 8. The first covenant that we, that we see in scripture, uh, is is spoken to a guy named Noah. You guys might have heard of him. Uh, and as we come to, to Genesis 8, what has just taken place is that Noah's been in the ark for about a year uh, as the world has been flooded in judgment. And as soon as he comes off of the ark, we see his response in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Noah's first response was to worship. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains seed time, and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So God God makes a promise to Noah to say, even though man is deserving of judgment, what does it say? The thoughts of our heart are evil from our youth. So, hey, we still deserve God's judgment. What has he promised? He's promised not to to bring judgment in the same way as long as what continues Seed time and harvest, summer and winter, day and night. And then what's the sign that he gives to Noah of his covenant faithfulness? Talk to me. The rainbow. That is what he he speaks to Noah. And ultimately, that is a covenant given to all of creation, which we see in Genesis chapter 9. That's the first covenant that we see in Scripture. Then if, if you flip over just a couple pages to Genesis chapter 12, we see the beginning of God's interactions with a man named, at this time, Abram, but who later in Scripture is known as Abraham. And Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, read along with me. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God makes this, this promise to, to Abram, says, hey, I'm going to make of you a great nation. But right now, Abram is childless. He's 75 years old. Uh, and if you flash forward uh, a couple of chapters to Genesis 15, Several years have passed. Uh, and so if you say to somebody, hey, your descendants are going to be a great nation, well, it seems like, okay, well, I'm going to start to have kids here soon. 
right? I'm going to have to have descendants to begin that nation. No descendants means no nation. So Abram, being the practical man that he is, says this in Genesis 15, beginning of verse 1. He says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abram begins to say, Hey God, when are you going to begin to fulfill your promise? And what does God point him to? The stars, the creation. Say, if you can number them, that's how many descendants you will have. So again, we see this connection in, in the Noahic covenant. God says, hey, look at, look at the, the summer and, and the, and the winter, seed time and harvest, day and night. That's the, the, the surety of his promises to Noah. And then he looks, points to the stars and says, if you can number them, you can number your descendants to Abraham. And then, Turn with me just a couple of books to the right, to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 25. We're going to see another covenant that that God makes. It's known as the the priestly covenant. So this is immediately after uh, some some severe immorality in the camp of Israel. And a, a priest named Phinehas, who was the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, acted for the glory of God to defend God's honor. And this is God's response to Phineas. So Numbers chapter 25, verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. So so Phineas, because of what he did, God says, All right, you will, will always have a descendant who will be a priest to me. That's quite an honor. And that's what he says to, to Phineas. And he says it's a perpetual. This is a forever promise to Phineas. I promise all of these will be woven together. So stick with me. Now, now turn over to a couple more books to the right. To Second Samuel chapter 7. Now God is speaking to, to King David. The, the king in Israel. Look at what he says to to David. Second Samuel chapter seven, beginning in verse twelve. So David has uh, been a king for a couple of years now, and he's wanted to to build a temple, build a house for the God. But God says, "Hey, I didn't ask you to do that. 
Uh, and instead of you building a house for me, David, I'm going to build a house for you. Not a physical house, but speaking of a household, uh, of a line of descendants. So look at me. Second Samuel 7, beginning of verse 12. It says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But his, but my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So what did, what did God promise to David? Hey, you shall have a descendant. You shall have a king on the throne forever. So all of these promises we see that God has made forever. And he's made it to Noah, Abraham, Phineas, and now to David. And now turn with me to Jeremiah, where all of these strands are going to be woven together. I promised we'd, we'd see them, them braided and we'd see the strength of them. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. So Jeremiah is going to be after uh, Isaiah, but before, before Ezekiel. Jeremiah 31. Now speaking of, uh, of the new covenant. Okay, and I'll explain what that means, but read with me. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31, says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So what, what Jeremiah is speaking of there is what's called the, the, the Mosaic Covenant with the Ten Commandments where God said, hey, if you do these things, I'll bless you. If you, if you disobey me, I'll curse you. That wasn't a forever covenant. That was a, a covenant where God says, you do this, I'll do this, and we'll live in, in peace together. And Israel couldn't do that. So God says, okay, then let's scrap that, and I'm going to make a new promise to you, a new covenant. That's what he is speaking of here. Let's pick it back up in verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, and the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens can be measured, and the foundations of the earth below can be explored. Then I will cast off all 
the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. So what is God saying? What is again his, the assurance that he will keep his covenant, the cycle of day and night, uh, and the, the number of the stars and the, the impossibility of exploring the depths of the earth? And then turn with me to one more passage over again in Jeremiah, just a couple of pages over. Jeremiah 33. Beginning in verse 14. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel. And we saw that in Second Samuel 7. God says, hey, David, you will have a household that reigns forever. In verse 18, and the Levitical priests shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings. And to make sacrifices forever. And that was promised to Phineas in Numbers 25. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord. If you can break my covenant with the day. And my covenant with the night. So that day and night will not come at their appointed time. Then also my covenant with David my servant may be broken. So that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. And my covenant with the Levitical priests my ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priest who minister to me. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not observed that these people are saying the Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose? Thus they have despised my people so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord, I have not established my covenant with day and tonight, and the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David, my servant, and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes, and I will have mercy on them. And this was written in a time where Israel had been plucked up from the land and taken away as hostages, as captives to another land. So let's, let, let's see all of this woven together now. See, the common ground for all of these covenant promises, the, the assurance of them is what? Day and night. And God says, hey, if you can break the cycle of day and night, you can get me to break my promises. That's easy to do, right? You can, you can say, hey, earth, stop spinning. Seasons, don't, don't continue in your cycle. God says, hey, that's all you have to do. That is how trustworthy God is. He says, as, as certainly as you can count on each day and each night continuing in a cycle, that is the surety, that is the assurance, that is the example of covenant faithfulness that God has for all of these covenants. He's made each of these forever covenants and now he weaves them all together. His covenant with Noah, his covenant with Abraham, his covenant with David, his covenant with Phineas. And all of them are connected to this unbreakable cycle of day and night. Then he also points and says, hey, if you can number the stars, then you can get me to, to stop and break my covenant. 
you know how many stars there are? It's estimated that there are 10 billion galaxies that are observable from Earth. That's not stars, those are galaxies. 10 billion galaxies that are observable right now from the Earth. And each of those galaxies is estimated to have a hundred billion stars each. So 10 billion galaxies, and each of them have a hundred billion stars, which brings a grand estimate, again, totally just an estimate, of at least a billion trillion stars, which is a one with 21 zeros after it. Because if you can, if you can give me an exact number on that, you can get God to break His covenant with the with the promises that He has made. Or if you if you can number the the sands on on the earth, if you can number the grain of sands. My as we went to to Lake Tahoe last week, my, my son got to play in the sand, uh, and, and you see how many how many grains of sand there are. And if you go if you've been to different beaches, you see there's some sands that are just like microscopic and it's so uh so fine and easy to walk on, it's almost enjoyable on your feet. Lake Tahoe doesn't have that kind of sand. Uh it's very gravelly and big, uh and you feel almost every single one of them on your sensitive feet, like I have. Uh but but imagine that. This is what God is saying. This is how secure and how safe we are in his covenant promises. That he will not break them. Because you can't stop the cycle of day and night. You can't even begin to, to try and number the, the grains of the sand. And we have no idea how many stars there are. And God has made all of them. And God says, I will keep every single one of my promises to my people. But why does this matter to you and me? Turn over to to the Gospel of Luke, to a passage that we are familiar with as we have over the the months celebrated the Lord's Supper together. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. When Jesus says that, when he, when he institutes the Lord's Supper and says, this is going to be a sign, what is it a sign of? It is a sign of the new covenant, the one that we just read about. The, the one that is secured by what? The cycle of day and night, the seasons, summer and winter. And as long as they continue, God will be faithful to the promises that he has made to us in the new covenant. Now, the new covenant was made to Israel. It has some spiritual blessings and it has some physical blessings. And we, as, as Gentiles, have been grafted in. We've been brought into the promises made to Israel. Romans 10 speaks of uh, grafting a tree branch onto a tree. Do you guys know that you could do that? Uh, you, you can take a, a branch of one tree 
You can kind of uh, carve a portion of it away. Uh, you can uh, cut back the bark on the tree, and then you can literally kind of tie this branch onto it, and it becomes a part of that tree. And that's what God is saying. We, we as, as Gentiles, as non-Jews, we have been brought into these promises that God has made to Israel, and now we receive all of the, the blessings and the benefits. And how, how sure can we be that God will keep his word? Day and night continue. Summer and winter, the number of the stars, the sands on the beaches of the world. That is how we can rest most assuredly in the promises of God. And now everyone who looks to faith in Christ, who acknowledges their own inability to save themselves, who acknowledges their own sinfulness, and says, Lord, I need you to save me. All who look to Christ in faith are grafted in and brought into those promises. And we are able to rest assured in the covenant faithfulness of God that he will not break his promises. He will not go back on his word. He will not violate his covenant. And I think the Apostle Paul understood that when he wrote something in Romans. You can, you can turn with me, if you would, to, to Romans chapter 8. It, it's the, the covenant faithfulness of God, that understanding that we just saw throughout the Old Testament, that gives Paul this confidence. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God." For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What Paul is saying there is the whole world can't wait until God fulfills the promises that he's made. Even the earth understands the covenant faithfulness of God and, and looks forward and anticipates when God will fulfill those promises. For in this hope we have we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows What is the mind of the Spirit? Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. How do we know that? How can we rest assured of that? Because of the covenant faithfulness of God. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also, he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The idea of does it matter who is against us if God is for us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And how do we rest secure in that? Because God has a track record of faithfulness. That he will keep his word. And we can rest assured in that. We can take comfort in knowing that when it feels like there are no handholds. That we've lost our foothold and that we are hanging on that cliff. Supported only by a rope. How strong is that rope? It's unbreakable. Because of God's character. Because of God's word. All those who believe rest securely in his hand because of who he is and what he has said. And as we we come to, to celebrate the Lord's table together, and I would ask the men to to come forward and begin to pass out those elements. As we come to to partake of communion, this this institution that Christ began as a celebration, as a reminder, in the same way that the, the Noahic covenant, the sign of that covenant is the rainbow. This is the sign of the new covenant. This is our reminder of God's faithfulness, that he will keep every single one of his promises that he has made. This is our celebration of that, that we partake of together. So it is a reason to celebrate, a reason to rejoice in the security that we have in Christ. But it's also a celebration that is intended for those who believe, for those who have placed their faith in Christ. So if if you're here this morning joining us and, and you haven't placed your faith in Christ, we are so thankful that you're here. But we would also ask that you would just allow these elements to pass by. That this is a celebration for all who believe. And if you have trusted in Christ, then please participate with us and rejoice in the comfort and security that we have because of what Jesus has done. And how amazing it is. And as, as these elements are, are finished, uh, being passed out, we're gonna sing a song and then after that we are going to partake of these elements together. But let's sing and worship together one more time. <laughs>